Project Mogul was a mid-20th century classified U.S. Army Air Force operation that focused on detecting sound waves that were generated by nuclear weapons tests conducted by the Soviets. This project lasted from 1947 until the beginning of 1949, and there was a lot of weapons testing going on at that point. As World War II came to an end, both the U.S. and USSR were polishing their guns and refining their weapons of mass destruction in preparation for what seemed like an inevitable conflict between the two still-standing global powers who had seemingly incompatible approaches to, and beliefs about, pretty much everything. So the U.S. was trying to figure out how to keep tabs on the Soviets' activities in this department, and it was discovered that way up high in the sky, in the upper atmosphere, there's a zone in which the combination of air pressure and temperature attributes reduce the speed of sound, which in turn means sound waves travel great distances. The net effect of those atmospheric circumstances at that specific height is that if you're able to listen to that layer of air in just the right way, you can, with a reasonable degree of certainty, figure out when someone else, even on the other side of the planet, has detonated a massive bomb like an atomic bomb. And you might even be able to figure out where, the magnitude of the bomb, and so on. This project made use of experimental balloons, which were armed with microphones and transmitters that could capture globe-spanning sound waves at that high altitude and then transmit that data back to the ground, where researchers would be keeping tabs and documenting these anomalies. In order to function properly, these balloons needed to stay way up in the upper atmosphere, stable, for long periods of time and that required additional tech wizardry that helped them track their altitudes and adjust their ballast levels as appropriate, and it also required that these balloons were quite resilient, and the initial versions were made from clusters of smaller rubber balloons all linked together, but the program soon moved on to large polyethylene plastic balloons instead, as they were less prone to leaks and more overall durable. This program was ultimately sunsetted when a more reliable and cheap ground-based method for tracking these tests, which involved seismic detectors like those used for earthquakes, and air sampling using planes to detect fallout, was developed and implemented, though the giant plastic balloons used for Project Mogul eventually went on to be used in the Skyhook program, which informed quite a few other classified and non-classified projects, including some that involved taking aerial photos of the Soviet Union using cameras attached to the balloons, and a whole lot more that focused on collecting various sorts of data, like those related to weather conditions, sun conditions, and several related to demonstrating the attributes of protons, electrons, and cosmic rays. Perhaps most famously, though, Project Mogul is reportedly the origin of the alleged Roswell UFO incident, during which a craft of unknown origin crashed in Roswell, New Mexico, and various people reported all sorts of alien flying saucer-ish things happening, capped with some kind of military unit rolling into town, snapping everything up, and then denying anything ever happened. The mogul balloons were reflective and made of very unfamiliar to anyone but researchers at the time materials, and the array of techno gadgets attached to these balloons probably would have looked very sci-fi to random people in Roswell in the mid-20th century who just encountered them in their backyard. 
So the story is that a balloon from this project, called NYU Flight 4, crashed in the desert in Roswell. The military covered it up because it was part of their classified Soviet atomic weapons surveillance apparatus, and that cover-up is part of why the flying saucer mythology became so prominent, because it seems to be based on something that actually happened, but which was misconstrued by those without classified clearance. People telling stories about weird stuff they saw, the government covering it up actively, and the government then maybe even leaning into these stories because they served as a wonderful, maybe even goofy-seeming cover for what was actually happening, which was convenient for them. What I'd like to talk about today is another instance of an unidentified flying object several of them, actually, causing frantic hubbubs across the United States and some of the fallout from the appearance of what seems to have been yet another enormous balloon launched by a military entity for surveillance purposes. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. The article I'd like to start with today comes from the Associated Press, and it's entitled U.S. Blacklists Six Chinese Entities Over Balloon Program. On February 4th, 2023, a massive airship, a ginormous balloon with some stuff slung beneath it, basically, owned by the Chinese, was shot down over U.S. territorial waters just off the South Carolina coast. The balloon was first noticed by civilians on a commercial airliner, then by folks on the ground who snapped photos using a telephoto camera lens in Montana on February 1st. The U.S. government confirmed that it was a high-altitude balloon on the 2nd and that they'd been tracking it for several days, and the balloon was reportedly flying at around 60,000 feet at the time, well above typical commercial airline height, and difficult to see, though because of the size of the balloon, which was estimated to be about 200 feet tall and maybe 100 feet wide, with a hardware payload attached to the bottom about the size of two or three school buses with 16 solar arrays splayed out to to either side to power it all. Because of that overall hugeness, it was still visible from the ground even that high up, and the photos from that telephoto lens did a decent job of showing that it was a balloon, and it also managed to capture some of the details on those attached solar panels. So this enormous balloon is flying over the U.S., and folks are seeing it, and it's alarming them. The government is saying, we know, we've been watching it, but folks then realize this balloon is over portions of Montana, where there are sensitive nuclear weapons-related military sites, and the theory becomes that this is a surveillance craft, not a weather balloon, blown off course, as the Chinese government claims after word of this thing hits the international press. The U.S. government confirms that, yes, this is a surveillance balloon. The size of it, plus the kit it's carrying, all support that assessment. But they also say they don't want to kill it immediately, despite it flying over sensitive areas, because those areas are hardened against spying, so the Chinese shouldn't be able to get much from this flyover, nothing that a satellite image wouldn't give them anyway. But also because they don't want debris from a blown-up sky balloon to hit and maybe even kill someone on the ground. Hence, waiting for the balloon to cross the country and fly down into the ocean beyond the Carolinas before blowing it up with a missile. 
As I record this, the military is reportedly still scavenging for bits and pieces of the blown-up balloon and its technological payload, though the government is claiming that they learned a lot about the Chinese hardware and their capabilities and other such things just from spying on the spy balloon as it drifted across the country. In subsequent days, it was divulged by the U.S. government via some newly declassified documents that the Chinese military has a fleet of these sorts of balloons that they've been operating partly out of a southern Chinese province called Hainan, and they've been flying these balloons through Japan, India, Vietnam, Taiwan, the Philippines, and other places of interest. There was actually another one confirmed flying through Latin America at the same time this drama was unfolding in the United States. And this declassification helped Japan figure out that a 2020 unsolved UFO sighting in their territory was actually one of these balloons. Data collected during this flyover apparently also helped the U.S. government figure out that some anomalies they'd detected in recent years were almost certainly more of these balloons. There were at least three Chinese balloon incursions over U.S. soil during the Trump administration, and likely at least one other one earlier in the Biden administration. The purpose of these balloons is not known for certain, but it's suspected that they're meant to fill in gaps left by satellite surveillance, as balloons can linger for long periods of time, while satellites fly by a given area within minutes, which makes photographing a relevant space tricky depending on local conditions. Because they're closer to the ground, they can also take higher resolution shots than is possible with most satellites, and they're also just way, way cheaper. And the Chinese military is pretty far behind the U.S. military in terms of in-orbit assets. It's also possible that these balloons are meant to be flexible assets, as they can be used as weather balloons in a pinch, but could also, at the most extreme end of paranoia, be converted into energy-efficient, hard-to-hit or even detect from the ground, hovering weapons platforms. A lot of what makes airships of the Zeppelin variety appealing to folks who are keen to transport goods and people long distances using very little energy applies here as well. These balloons can stay in the sky more or less indefinitely, using very little energy, mostly just what they can collect from solar panels, and can travel around the world to reach a desired location, and can be controlled remotely, hovering in parts of the sky where they are unlikely to be noticed, essentially forever. So there's a lot to like about this type of asset, especially if you are in China's position and you think you can get away with the plausible deniability thing, just saying, oops, it's an errant weather balloon, if you ever get caught. That latter assumption did not seem to work out as planned, though, and the timing of this discovery seems to have been pretty bad for the Chinese government, as externally, at least, it seems keen to reconnect with the rest of the world after a relatively bellicose period. They spent the past few years being very aggressive and wolf-warrior-like, but now that they're coming out of a period of heavy COVID lockdowns and infections, not to mention a big economic slowdown, they seem keen to rebuild some of their frayed relationships, economic and otherwise, and U.S. and Chinese representatives were scheduled to meet up and discuss these sorts of things soon, but because of this balloon stuff, that meeting was postponed, and the Chinese don't seem to be too happy about that. There were repercussions within the U.S. political world as well, with many politicians on both sides of the aisle criticizing Biden for not ordering the balloon shot down sooner, worrying that the data the Chinese scooped up over sensitive sites might be worth all the other consequences they have faced during this ordeal. 
which could in turn incentivize them to keep snooping in this way. But then others have called this a non-story, pointing out that all nations, especially big, militarily active nations, spy on each other. And although this one led to a diplomatic flub, because it's kind of polite for everyone to pretend they're not spying, and to thus go way out of their way to never get caught, Sometimes it happens, and it's not cool, and civilians don't like it, but whether you're spying with satellites or high-flying jets or stealth aircraft or remote-operated drones or balloons, sometimes it just happens. And acting like this is some big anomaly and breach of the way things are done is disingenuous. So there's been a lot of posturing and politicking on both sides, and everyone seems to feel they at least have to act upset. The U.S. because we're being spied on and that's not okay. The Chinese because they need to seem like they're being unfairly accused of something. And everyone's kind of trying to score political points on their enemies because this is a highly visible, headline-grabbing story that's good for that kind of opportunism. So Biden has been targeted by those looking to dunk on him, just as the Chinese are being criticized by anyone who thinks they can get good sound bites for their next election cycle by criticizing the current mainstream international enemy of the moment. All that said, following the initial balloon drama, another unidentified high-altitude object was shot down over Alaska on Friday the 10th of February. It was flying at about 40,000 feet, which puts it at potential airliner altitude, so it was a theoretical danger to civilians. And then the following day, another such object was shot down over Canadian territory. In both cases, as of the day I'm recording this at least, the U.S. and Canadian governments aren't saying what these objects were, though the former was said to be about the size of a car and it hasn't been called a balloon, though there's a chance they will announce it was a balloon of some kind sometime in the near future. The latter was also flying at a high altitude, but there are currently fewer details available and a lot of speculation, including some rumors that it might have messed with sensors on the jet fighter that blew it up before it was targeted, though a lot of this is unconfirmed at the moment, so it's best to avoid too much speculation till more info is released, which it almost certainly will be in the coming days, maybe even before this episode goes live. There's also a good chance that more such objects will be detected and knocked down in the coming days. Some might be from China, some from other nations or entities, organizations, corporations, etc. And this is the consequence of us now having a better sense of how to track these sorts of slow-moving, relatively small, high-flying objects, while also understanding that there might be defense reasons to take them out, and maybe even political hay to be made from tracking and blowing them up. This could mean, among other things, that some research vessels actual ones, not Chinese spy balloons pretending to be research vessels, are blown out of the sky as people begin to worry about any and all balloons, and as those in charge start to get itchy trigger fingers. Also worth noting here is that it's likely that rather than there suddenly being a slew of new aerial assets flying around and through North America, this is instead an instance of the U.S. and Canadian and allied governments suddenly knowing what to look for, having turned up the sensitivity on their tracking gadgets and realizing that it's smart, politically and maybe even diplomatically by some measures, to take these things out. So these objects have probably been there all along, and they're only just now more visible and being perceived as viable targets. A few more points worth mentioning. First is that, again, this kind of spying is common. 
and has been since the beginning of the Cold War. Part of what keeps Cold Wars cold is everyone knowing that the other side, their enemy, isn't going to nuke them out of existence before they can nuke in return. So a bit of spying of this kind is actually arguably desirable in some ways, because if the Chinese didn't know for certain, seeing with their own eyes, their own balloons, that US missile silos are not getting ready to launch, they might get itchy big red button fingers and decide to launch instead. Second is that, as mentioned in that AP article, the U.S. is using this as an opportunity to sanction more Chinese entities. In this case, mostly companies linked to China's spy balloon and larger surveillance industry infrastructure. But also, because of the nature of these balloons and how they're made, China's aerospace industry. This is likely something the U.S. government already wanted to do, and this is of a kind with other recent sanctions. So while definitely not something Beijing is keen to see happen, it's also not a wild deviation from how things have been between the U.S. and Chinese governments for several years now. Sanctions are part of what the Chinese government was reportedly keen to discuss at that meeting that was put off due to the balloon hullabaloo, because even though China can get around these sanctions, it takes more work and resources to do so. So there's a chance these new sanctions are also intended to serve as leverage for whatever negotiations happen at that future meeting once it's rescheduled. It's more sanctions on the list of existing sanctions for the U.S. to use to negotiate against in that upcoming discussion. And third, there have been some rumors and speculations that this was actually an intentional move by someone within the Chinese government, maybe to test the U.S. response to aerial incursions, maybe to see if it would be a useful way to waste U.S. missiles in the event of a conflict, as balloons like this would cost substantially less than the missile used to take each one down, not to mention the cost of flying the jet fighters required to launch those missiles so they could build 100,000 balloons with weapons platforms on them or bombs attached to them and fly them to U.S. shores and the U.S. would have trouble shooting them all down but also would spend a small fortune on all the missiles required to shoot them down. Or maybe that it was a move by some group within the Chinese government that doesn't want hostilities between the countries to end and which is in fact looking to ramp up those hostilities further, even if doing so is oppositional to the larger Chinese government's current motives. We do not have any way of knowing if any of these potentialities are true, and if so, to what degree. But the Occam's Razor explanation that this is normal spying activity that's been suddenly made visible, and we're really just seeing a different response to that normal spying because of that increased visibility, that does seem to be the most likely explanation right now, based on the information currently publicly available. The book I'd like to recommend today is called A Brief History of Equality by Thomas Piketty. Thomas Piketty is a French economist who is not unbiased in his opinions about what should be done and what has happened in the past and why it happened and the economic reasons behind these things. And his books have been fairly well regarded across the board, even with people who typically disagree with his interpretations about things and what those interpretations mean. But in this book in particular, he writes for a non-economist audience and writes about how economic forces have influenced 
a move toward more equality over time, especially in more recent memory, and what we might do to make sure that what we might call late-stage capitalism does not get rid of the equality-related advances that we've made over the past hundred years or so, and instead becomes increasingly equitable without fully stepping back from models like capitalism that are familiar and comfortable for a whole lot of the people who hold a whole lot of the world's wealth. I personally found this book to be interesting and heartening. I didn't agree with everything that he said 100%, but I think he has some very good ways of framing some of these topics in a way that make them more palatable and accessible to people who might not otherwise consider them. And I think he raises some pretty good points about wealth taxes and how those might be applied without collapsing some of the incentives, which are arguably, in some cases at least, some of the better and most successful aspects of the current version of capitalism as it's practiced across much of the world today. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of A Brief History of Equality by Thomas Piketty. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. If you're enjoying what I'm doing here, you might also enjoy some of my other news-focused publications. Notes on the News is a pretty new one, and I cover a slew of different topics in an array of different formats there. You can find that at notesonthenews.com. And One Sentence News is a week daily email and podcast through which I summarize and contextualize news items on a regular basis and as concisely as possible without sacrificing depth. That can be found at onesentencenews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram, Colin Wright on most of the other ones. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.